Would you like to be able to start conversations like a pro? Take The Sunday World, your daily dose of what's going on. Do not consume The Sunday World if you're involved in a drug cartel, you're a politician with something to hide, or you've appeared on a reality TV show and care about others' opinions. Consume The Sunday World responsibly. Always read the stories, gossip and commentary. You can't beat the sound of a contented cat. That's why veterinary surgeon and natural pet food pioneer John Burns developed Burns Pet Nutrition. Because he knows the positive impact a natural diet has on our beloved pets. And our premium cat food is designed to satisfy even the most finicky eaters. For natural, no nasty, wholesome recipes, choose Burns Pet Nutrition. Available from veterinary clinics and all good pet shops across Ireland. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Nicola Talent, and you can listen to my brand new podcast, Beast, The Murder of Nora Sheehan, streaming now, wherever you get your podcasts. If you are sanctioned, that just very simply means that you can't do business in a normal way. So it means every time anyone's doing business with you, they are breaking the law. So it means that you have to go to different sorts of channels or places or deal with different types of people to procure the things you need. You're trafficking in money. Yes, it's dirty money, but there's a plausible deniability there where you can say, we're just moving the money. I'm Nicola Talent, and you're listening to Crime World, a podcast about criminals, drugs and the sins of the underworld in Ireland and across the globe. The eyes of the world have been on the terrorist organisation Hezbollah and what they might do as Israel pounds Gaza on a mission to destroy Hamas. But who are the Lebanese-based group and what sort of war chest might they have should they intensify support for Hamas? Today, we are talking with Financial Times correspondent and author Miles Johnson, whose recent book, Chasing Shadows, explores the relationship between Hezbollah and the cocaine trade. We talk about the Kinahan organisation, money laundering and the financial machine of terrorism. This is Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com. Coming back to talk to you again because of all that's happening uh, in Israel and Palestine, Hamas deep underground with what's believed to be this arsenal of weapons and funding, obviously, and Hezbollah sitting on the Lebanese border, everybody watching what they're going to do. The last time we spoke about Hezbollah was in connection with uh, the Kinahans and others who have been using them to money launder uh, a lot of the cocaine cash. So I just thought, cheapers, they're loaded. Yeah. Over the last 10, 15 years, they must have a massive amount of cash stored away. Yeah. It's, um, you know, it's, it's a pretty um, interesting sort of place in the world where lots of things converge, you know, so they're this sort of, I, I guess the way I would sort of see it in the simplest terms is that you know, we, there's, we, your, your listeners will be familiar, you know, with economic sanctions from obviously 
all of the sanctions have come down onto um, the Kinahan organization. But, um, you know, sanctions have often, you know, previously been used against governments, you know, so notably Iran, you know, so Iran, until the Ukraine, you know, Russia's invasion of Ukraine, Iran was the most sanctioned government in the world. And Hezbollah has always been, you know, since its sort of formation in the early 80s, Iran's most important proxy sort of military outfit outside of Iran. So, you know, it was sort of trained and funded by Iran. And it's grown over time into more of a sort of like a lots of different things. It's a political movement. It's a terrorist organization. There's been different approaches from different governments about Hezbollah. You know, so the UK and the US and now Germany, they consider the whole of Hezbollah to be a terrorist organization designated as such. Whereas there are other countries that sort of split it into a political wing and a military wing. But um, Iran has always been under these sanctions. And um, Hezbollah, obviously, too, has been under sanctions because it's a designated terrorist organization by, most importantly, the United States. So if you are sanctioned, that just very simply means that you can't do business in a normal way. You can't buy things or procure items you need in the way which other governments or organizations do. So it means every time anyone's doing business with you, if they're an American or someone who does business with you know, the United States, they are breaking the law. So it means that you have to go to different sorts of channels or places or deal with different types of people to procure the things you need. So it creates this kind of part of the kind of black market, the global shadow economy, where these sorts of um, organizations come into contact with quite unlikely bedfellows. So it could be drugs traffickers in Europe, for example, or it could be you know, weapons dealers who, and these people, they don't necessarily have any ideological alignment with the end organization. You know, it's not like they care necessarily about the ideology of the people they're dealing with it with, but it becomes a sort of pragmatic business relationship where in the case of drug traffickers, you have a situation where they have a need, you know, like a critical logistical component of being a kind of transnational you know, drugs trafficking organization is obviously one part is moving the drugs, but another really important part of that is being able to move massive amounts of money around the world. You know, as you know, you know, better than me, you have to be able to pay your suppliers, you have to be able to pay your own organization, you have to do lots of things. And that means that they have a they have a need. And there are in the kind of international criminal economy, there are these service providers, you know, people who instead of, you know, it's kind of like outsourcing. It's like either you have your own internal money laundering function, which works up to a point. But when you get to a very, very large scale, you need to kind of find, you could, you decide to say, okay, I could do this myself and it gets really complicated and I have to do all of these things. Or I could just find someone who can say, I'll do this for you for 10% or 5%. And so there's this sort of um, service providers who are providing this critical logistical function. And at the same time, you have governments, sanctioned governments, who for decades have developed a huge expertise in evading sanctions and moving money around the world surreptitiously, you know, specifically in a way where they can't or try at least not to be busted by the governments, the Western governments who are trying to stop them doing that. So it's a sort of strange collision between these places. And I think that's sort of the starting point for all of this. There was, I think there was a report there recently on the Organised Crime and Reporting Project. And they were actually talking about Hezbollah having people 
specifically living in South America to deal with the cartels there. Like they, and that that had gone on for almost well over a decade. Like it is that developed. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. You know, you have um with the also these organizations, you sort of like paramilitary terrorist organizations. You have these sort of uh, various degrees of centralization and hierarchy where sometimes it's difficult to know what is sort of centralized sort of intentional behavior and what is sort of side hustles, corruption, Mm. people um, raising funds for strategic purposes or raising funds for basically their own pocket. You see, you're sounding, you're talking about, I mean, literally we're talking about this all the time, but when we get on to the IRA, similar things happened. There was always accusations that some of them were actually lining their own pockets and weren't giving it to the cause. So you'd have all that going on in the same way. Yeah, it's a really, really good um, kind of comparison. I mean, it's sort of like in all of these um, uh, organizations, you know, they evolve, the people in them evolve, their interests change over time. People kind of go through phases in their life where they're more ideological, less ideological, like motivated by different things. And in the case of, um, you know, there are different um, assessments of Hezbollah's uh, sort of role in crime. You know, so the US US government, you know, this isn't me saying this, this is like, you know, the US Treasury, you know, when they sanction someone, they use lots of different inputs, including um, declassified intelligence. And, you know, they've sanctioned very, very senior Hezbollah officials for specifically, among other things, being involved in, um, you know, transportation of, uh, of illegal drugs. So, in more recent times, you know, we've seen a lot of um, focus on the Captagon trade, you know, with um, in Syria, you know, it's a type of um, sort of uh, amphetamine, synthetic amphetamine, which is being produced en masse uh, by the Syrian regime, but uh, has to be sort of trafficked through um, Lebanon, you know, and the border. Um, but, um, you know, you, the US government has said, rep- named repeatedly, you know, senior officials who are involved in this stuff because Hezbollah controls important um, logistical uh, points in um, Lebanon. But then the the assessments differ depending on who you're talking to. You know, some people say this is a centralized, um, you know, process to raise funds and they draw even a, you know, they draw a historical line. They say after the 2006 um, war with Israel, when, um, you know, a huge amount of damage is inflicted on Hezbollah and, um, you know, and, and Lebanon, there was this massive rebuilding that needed to be done. At the same time, you know, just after that, in, um, you know, 2008, you had a global economic crash, you know, the price of oil tumbled, Iran's revenues, Iran was already under sanctions, but obviously it generates a massive amount of money through oil revenues. And, um, you know, but those collapsed at that moment, and they needed to find alternative sources of funding. So that was also sort of some officials say that was the point when there was a decision made that we need to sort of tap into other ways, other illicit schemes to raise finance. Because, you know, as I started out saying, they can't just sort of go out into the mm-hmm. global economy and try and raise money normally. I mean, it's actually, I was I was over there in the Lebanon and Hezbollah, like they actually are effectively a government of a large section of the of the country, aren't they? Like, you know, because I was remember being in Beirut and we were, I was there with an aid organization and they drive you out a bit and they say, now, now you're in the Hezbollah territory. Mm-hmm. Like, so they obviously need to generate a huge amount of money because they're running, you know, social services effectively as well. 
Massive. Yeah, that's a really, really important point. I mean, um, especially also there was a very, very significant step change in what they were doing with their entrance into the Syrian civil war, you know, which is the sort of the moment in um in my book, Chasing Shadows, which is sort of about this stuff. That's kind of around that time when Hezbollah entered into the Syrian civil war, which was very, very different from what they were doing before. So, you know, before they were sort of um, staging operations against Israel in the South. And then suddenly they're sort of entering into this sort of extremely intense urban kind of conflict where they are taking large casualties. They require a lot of weapons. They require sort of resources and strategies that they weren't used to using before, um, fighting in terrain or contexts that they weren't, hadn't previously really fought in. And that requires a lot of money. And they also took quite a large amount of casualties. And all of those casualties, you have to sort of provide for widows and families. And there are um, massive associated costs with that. So as you say, that's a really important point that it's just extremely expensive if you're running a sort of effectively a state within a state. Um, you have massive financial liabilities. Um, but it all comes back to this sort of, um, to what extent is this centralized? You know, Obviously, the leadership of that organization, they have repeatedly said they have no involvement at all in um, you know crime or illicit activities. And this is sort of black propaganda put forward by their enemies. Um, yet the um, evidence over time has become significant that there are at least you know, senior officials who are connected to this sort of activity as has been um, disclosed by the US Department of Treasury. And I think maybe all three of us are in agreement that Hezbollah has somewhat been involved in money laundering. They do control certain territories that, you know, drug for drug transport routes, they must have made a serious amount of money over the last 20 years, which has been a boom period for cocaine. So if we're looking at them getting some sort of a percentage, I mean, I have a calculator here now, which helps me add two and two. You guys might be more into your into your mathematics of it. But even if they had managed to hone a small percentage of what has been made over the past 20 years from the cocaine industry, it is absolutely mind-boggling how much money they could have brought into the organization. Yeah. I mean, also, it's sort of, um, there've been, uh, absolutely. I mean, it's it's a large amount of money, of course. And I mean, um, as 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 you said, you know, the sort of um, the explosion in the European cocaine industry has sort of um, coincided. It's created a need. You know, the bigger it gets, the more um, really large scale drug traffickers and people who have sort of work more in collaboration with others and sort of, collab- you know, they have, they might sort of share supply lines, they might share money laundering um, strategies, you know, they need liquidity, you know, in sort of a, in a market, you know, you, you need a liquid market for money laundering. You know, if you're trying to move serious amounts of cash, you need a reliable counterparty who can move, you know, hundreds of millions, not just sort of 5 million, 10 million here or there. Um, and so it creates this whole sort of separate supply of a sort of service providers who can do this. I mean, I've spoken to officials who said that the price for money laundering in Europe has sort of gone down significantly. In a sense, there's so much to meet that demand. You know, previously services which would maybe take 20% of your money, some of them are down to 5%. Some people are even offering zero because they just, they actually want to create a liquid market. You know, it's almost sort of like an incentive bonus for customers um, to sort of get them to, the more customers you have, the more liquidity you have, and the greater sort of the global network um, of exchanges you can have. And are they then tied into the legitimate banking sector in the Lebanon? Because of course, the Lebanon 
it certainly 20, 30 years ago was was the center of banking really in that part of the world. And it's still still a very uh, developed part of the economy, even though I know it's gone through a lot of struggles in recent times. I mean, it's interesting. It's an interesting point. I mean, because what, what you saw, um, you know, there's sort of, um, you know, really interesting studies showing sort of the, the deposit growth in the Lebanese banking system from around 2006, you know, where a large amount of money from abroad was coming in. And there were sort of these questions as to what were the origins of these funds. And, um, and uh, you know, as you've sort of uh, mentioned, you know, that more recently, there's been this huge financial crisis in the country. You know, it's really um, uh, suffered terribly. You know, the central banker, of Lebanon, who was once sort of this revered individual as this sort of maestro, you know, has sort of, um, you know, been involved in huge scandals. And they've actually previously, you know, there's been multiple um, US cases involving Lebanese banks. Um, and so then it kind of gets into this other issue of like, what are the sort of broader macroeconomic factors of just like, if you have a sort of structural necessity to bring in uh, deposits into your banking system um, and where the origins of those money is coming from. I mean, you've had these really elaborate schemes. You know, there was this uh, case of a bank um, about a decade ago where it was t- taking a huge amount of de- um, cash, which was originating from the sale of used cars in West Africa. And, you know, those used cars were being bought in places like the United States in cash, then sent on, you know, boats to West Africa, then being sold. And then the money being put into Lebanese banks. And the um, DEA um, actually sort of uncovered that this was a, a very elaborate money laundering scheme being used by drugs traffickers. So um, it gets sort of extremely, extremely complicated, um, but it's um, all sort of plays into this, um, these sort of like both macroeconomic factors and sort of on the ground political factors. So is it all going to change now because of the conflict in Gaza? I mean, the, the, Obviously, the the Hezbollah maybe stood a bit off the getting involved in the conflict in recent times, but it, it's certainly going to bring a lot of attention on. It's been kind of all eyes on them, really, to see what they're going to do. Of course, because you know, were they going to? There was a couple of rocket launches into into Israel at the same time as the problems in Gaza were increasing, but they don't seem to have moved quickly, even though the messages from the leaders have been that, you know, they're they're watching and, and the longer this goes on, the more likely it is for them to to join forces as such with Hamas and go to war themselves. Well I mean I think in, in general terms, I think uh we can say that, you know, the 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 state of Lebanon right now is um, you know, it has faces some very serious problems and it is a far from optimal time for um, you know there to be a war. Mm. So there's a sort of difficult balancing act, I think, between um, obviously the sort of what well, the main reasons for the existence of Hezbollah is to um, is uh, to fight against Israel. So it has to be seen to be sort of doing something. But at the same time, the consequences if if there was a repeat of what happened in 2006, it would be. Um, a sort of a disaster, um, and you know. So I think it's it's a very delicate balancing act. There's a lot of saber rattling. Um, who knows? We will we will see. Um, but it's just this sort of like complicated, ever changing situation. Um, you know, it's a very complicated place for um, everyone to try and understand, um, even a little bit, and uh, even to comment on, like because you don't want to go outside your realms of understanding of what's going on because of the sensitivities of it. But I mean, it was really just to to know. How wealthy is Hezbollah as an organization, I suppose? And if anything should topple, tip over, 
that if they should decide to, you know, I suppose in a more powerful way, uh, back what's happening with Hamas, what is the, I suppose, the world facing? How much money could they possibly have in their in their war chests? I mean, I think it's, um, we could sort of invert that by saying, you know, arguably, you can make an argument to say that the involvement in criminal schemes by any sort of um, state or pseudo-state sort of organization is also kind of potentially like a sign of um, weakness in a way. You know, like um, leader, the leadership of um, Hezbollah has said frequently, you know, we get our money from Iran. Like, we don't need to get money from elsewhere. But um, obviously, the reality of any complex organization is that there will be lots of people doing different things for different reasons. And so um, sort of back to that issue of how you separate um, you know, the sort of how hierarchical, we know it's an extremely disciplined and trained uh, organization. Um, you know, it's sort of a paramilitary, you know, sort of style organization is highly disciplined. Um, so you would expect there to be a fairly tight um, sort of uh, chain of command and people would be aware of things people were doing or at least tolerating them. But um, it would be the, the sort of involvement in um, uh, money laundering schemes and things like this um, could be seen actually as a sign of weakness, you mm-hmm. know, really. Sort of, uh, it's the it's a sort of desperation. It's, a, it's an element of um, taking, having to take more risks or do things which are um, unappetizing. I mean, the case of money laundering, though, in general, especially drugs money laundering, is that, you know, it happens almost in every single case, you know, that where the defense will say, we never knew it was money from drugs. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We just doing. We were, you know. So a lot of these services, you had these cases, um, you know, important DEA cases over the last sort of, um, you know, six seven years, where there were money launderers operating in Europe who were connected to, according to the U.S. government, very senior people in Hezbollah. You know, like top Hezbollah financiers who are sanctioned by the U.S. government for being, you know, really the money men for the organization. Um, they were in contact daily with people who were convicted in Europe for laundering large amounts of um, cocaine money for, you know, uh, European drugs gangs, basically picking up money all across Europe. You know, they were, they had a service, you know, you called up a number and you said, I'm in Antwerp, I've got 15 million euros, like, please launder it for me, take it to X or Y or whatever. Mm -hmm. You know, they were going to Spain, Italy, you know, Holland, France, Germany. They would just send people in cars and, you know, that often the money would be hidden in cars and then they would, through various means, launder that money. But these were people who were later revealed in criminal cases, you know, which was tried in front of a court to be in daily contact with some of the like top people in Hezbollah. Um, so that stuff um, is, is real. But at the same time, when you're a money launderer, you'll just say, I didn't know the money was from drugs. You know, I, I'm a money broker. I provide money broking services. You know, someone drops off cash to me and I exchange it through an exchange house in Beirut and give them the money somewhere else. And I had no idea. And that's generally what happens in things. So there's a like less stigma attached to, compared to actually trafficking in yeah. loads of cocaine, you're trafficking in money. Yes, it's dirty money, but there's a plausible deniability there where you can say, we're just moving the money. Yeah, you can stay a few steps away from it. Isn't it interesting? And maybe it all concentrates the mind on something that myself and I'll talk about quite a lot, which is the, you know, the demand for cocaine and where 
those, where that money goes ultimately that's handed over in a nightclub in the flash of a hand on a street, you know, 100 euro bag. And where does that 100 euro go? It goes all the way up the lines into the likes of the hands of some of it, into the likes of the hands of terrorists who are, you know, reaping havoc across the world. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's just this sort of strange sort of shadow economy, this sort of like, you know, parallel universe where, um, you know, unlikely characters, you know, have to sort of interact these, these sort of complex, you know, the, these sort of weird cases where, you know, for example, they found, you know, this massive, I think it was in 2021, if I'm correct, there was this huge seizure of Captagon pills in Naples, you know, in the port in Naples. It was like, millions and millions of these Captagon pills, which, you know, as widely sort of documented are made in Syria, you know, by, yeah. you know, government. So, you know, how does that end up in a port in Naples? Who are the local partners there? How would they get into contact with each other? You know, it's it's sort of this strange, um, mm-hmm. very unlikely alliances. And I think you see that just more and more in... And on the, the ground, world. like in Italy, is that where the market was? Or who was taking those... No, because as far as I'm aware, you know, it, it, that's not a drug which is uh, taken yeah. by people in Italy. You know, the, the the market for that is very much in the Gulf. You know, it's quite popular in um in Gulf countries. And so why it was being sent, you know, I think there were some theories that it was being sent to Libya or something. Mm-hmm. But, you know, why it was being sent that way, I don't know. But, you know, it, it just shows that there are these really bizarre sort of um, mm-hmm. supply chains and sort of business um, networks which uh, involved extremely unlikely bedfellows, you know, people who would just have nothing really to do with each other um, normally. And um, it's sort of because it's they're operating in, yeah, it's like a sort of shadow marketplace where um, uh, they're service providers. So I think the important thing I think here is just the um, the idea, at least from my conversations with people who yeah. um, are close to these sorts of things, you know, the ideological component <clears throat> often is less really important than um, sometimes it's given um, credit for in a sense of just like a lot of these people, even people who are relatively close to the organizations, um, you know, sort of um, prescribed terrorist organizations and stuff, they just so often seem to be acting basically out pure financial self-interest. It's you know, so familiar, isn't it? It is. <laughs> I mean, unfortunately for our regular drug dealers, they, they tend to draw the attention of the American uh, government because they're dealing with Hezbollah, who, who may not have been bothered with them otherwise. Uh, I think they've that might be a miscalculation on their behalf. Yeah, I mean, no, really, absolutely, completely. I always, I actually was thinking about that um, recently. It's sort of, it's just, you know, you can get into these situations where you don't know who you're dealing with necessarily, or, you know, that person might be really good at laundering your money, but then the, yeah. the upshot of that, as you say, is that you, um, it do you attract serious law enforcement attention. For sure. Miles, thanks a million for coming on again. And uh, no doubt we'll be talking in the near future as hopefully no situation with Hezbollah uh, continues, but as your own investigations into international money laundering and all the links uh, does. All right. Well, thank you so much for having me on. It's always a pleasure. Thanks, Miles. You've been listening to Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com, produced by Ian Mullaney and edited by me, Nicola Talent. Research assistant is Claude Amini. If you like this show and love true crime, leave us a review. Or why not download the free sundayworld.com app for lots more stories from Ireland and across the globe. Would you like to be able to start conversations like a pro? 
Take the Sunday World, your daily dose of what's going on. Do not consume the Sunday World if you're involved in a drug cartel, you're a politician with something to hide, or you've appeared on a reality TV show and care about others' opinions. Consume the Sunday World responsibly. Always read the stories, gossip, and commentary.